and welcome to the Essential Craftsman Podcast. I'm Nate. I've got an interview for you with Andrew Camerata. Andrew is a YouTuber, a contractor, dirt work, excavator, heavy equipment, repairman supreme uh, in New York. The guy's really something. If you're not familiar with his videos, I can't recommend them highly enough. It's the type of person that all of us think we are who are handy. We all think we can fix things and get jobs done, but nobody really comes close to Andrew, in my opinion, in actually being able to do big projects, solve problems, and fix virtually anything. So I'm a big fan, as you can tell. Andrew's really a great guy. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Last thing before we get started here, I really messed up the audio on this. Andrew sounds great. I sound terrible. We actually recorded this back in November, and between then and now, I've just sort of been disappointed in it and trying to fix it. Well, I'm throwing up my hands. We're putting it out as is. I hope you can hang with it. Let's get to it. Welcome to the show, Andrew. It's really great you're joining us. You're actually our very first guest ever on the podcast. I don't know if it's an honor or not, but it maybe if we stick with it, it'll be something memorable. I've already given the listeners a little bit of a background about who you are and what you do. So I kind of want to talk about your equipment and sort of the, the work side of your life first. And in particular, heavy equipment. Is there any type of labor that you really do by hand or are you kind of just always reaching for some machine for whatever you're up against? Well, I do the labor by hand that absolutely needs to be done by hand, but the equipment is nice to have around because it can do the a lot of the heavy lifting and allow much bigger projects to get done. Like, for example, if you were digging a hole or something, you wouldn't even consider doing that by hand. Yeah. You know, an excavator can do it and it can do in minutes what a person would take hours to do by hand. So. Do you ever find yourself doing things with them that they weren't like designed for, like loading your truck, you know, or like using them to just, I don't know, move something around the yard? Well, one thing that comes to mind is like the excavators, you know, they're kind of meant for digging, but a very common accessory that's added to them is a thumb, which allows them instead of just being a pure digging machine to be a machine that can grab stuff. And I actually find myself using the machine with the thumb more than I use it for digging because it's just so handy. It's like a big like robot arm to just grab anything and move it around and it's you know super strong. So it, it kind of seems like from my point of view, these mini excavators, I guess, and the skid steers, but I, I don't, it doesn't seem like I see as many just backhoes around. When I was a kid, it was like backhoes were it and they were all over. And nowadays, it just seems like there's fewer of them. Is that is that kind of the case? Have has the mini excavator like kind of put the backhoe, you know, into the obsolete territory or what's what's the deal there? Yes, you're right on that. The backhoes it's kind of like a Swiss army knife of things where they can do a lot of things, but the problem with a backhoe is they do anything good as far as a digger as far as a digger goes. They aren't nearly as good as an excavator and as far as a loader i mean they're okay as a loader but still not nearly as good as a dedicated loader or even a skid steer are they, so they just like not just not as nimble or something or or, or just because yeah. they're bulky well when when you use a backhoe for digging they're they're one they they get stuck really easy like i, I have a john deere backhoe so i do have experience here um i have a john deere 310c it's a four-wheel drive i think it weighs about eight tons and 
as far as digging with it, it certainly can dig, but it's, if you run that and run the excavator, it's so frustrating on the backhoe because like you have to pick up the outriggers, turn the seat around, pick up the bucket, drive to your new spot. Since it's on wheels, it really can't go anywhere like the excavator can. It can't grab stuff like the excavator because the excavator has a thumb. Mm-hmm. It, so it gets stuck easy. And then even if you want to move around a little bit, you, you can't just move. Like it's, you have to go through that whole process. The excavator can just track any direction and yeah. usually in any situation like mud, hills, and they go just fine. So, so that's what are the price of are the price of backhoes? Are they like kind of inexpensive then because of that? Or are you can you get them like you know on more of a discount, or they're just are yeah. they just kind of not even used? I mean, yes and no, but it's I mean sometimes you see if you're looking at used stuff, you see people asking ridiculous prices for them. But it's, yeah. I wouldn't even really consider it as something to get because it's just. I mean, you could, but I I wouldn't unless you get a really good deal on a backhoe. Yeah, I, I wouldn't bother. Like, I really couldn't recommend one. Like, if you if you need to dig, get an excavator. Yeah. If you're doing anything else, get a track skid steer. You know, they're a little pricey, but it's it's really worth it. That was going to be my next question. I for me, you know, I don't have really a use for any specific piece of equipment, but lots of times, I'm I find myself renting or using or wishing I had one in particular. And I know a skid steer can be very kind of multi-purposed I guess it's got all these attachments but so do little tractors like a little my dad's got a little Kubota that's got a an auger and a grading attachment and it has a little um I guess a backhoe attachment a little digging attachment so if somebody like a contractor let's say a general contractor was going to go one of these routes for an all-purpose machine um maybe you just answered it you would you would say more the skid steer direction as opposed to the mini tractor well, the mini tractor is different than a backhoe. A backhoe, when you think about that, I think of a tractor with a loader with a yeah, backhoe on it. Uh, yeah, and backhoe that's is the, And when, when I say backhoe, the backhoe is always on it. It can't be yeah. anything else. When you say a tractor, now that's different because they have the three-point hitch with a PTO on the rear. Right. And anything can go on the back. So they're actually really useful because there is a huge range of attachments and tractors are one of the cheaper machines to buy. They're actually not that much money to go out and buy a brand new one. Um, So get one, like make sure four wheel drive. I really like hydrostatic. Yeah. And they're, they're nice because all the different things you can put on the back. Now, if you're comparing tractors to skid steers, that's, that's kind of a a tough call, but there's some big advantages to the both, both of them. One, the tractors are usually cheaper and they have better visibility at the sides or back. They're better for mowing the tractor. You know, the attachments can sometimes be cheaper. Mm. The tractor is nice because you can drive over a lawn if you have turf tires or R4 tires and not mess up grass at all. Um, so some jobs are a lot better for a tractor over a skid steer. Hey, what about repairs? Are the I imagine the skid steer being tougher to repair. It seems like it's just smaller and more hydraulics um, or is it kind of, they're both, you got to learn the ropes either way or does one have an advantage in repairs? Um, I guess skid steers are a little hard to work on sometimes because you're just kind of the way they're put together. I mean, that's one advantage of a skid steer over a tractor is usually the skid steer, the whole bottom of it's like a plate. So you can kind of drive over anything where sometimes on the tractor, I find myself damaging the bottom of my tractor driving over sticks or something on a job. But that also makes the skid steer somewhat harder to work on because you have to, all the repairs are either done through the back door or by flipping up the cab and mm-hmm. working on they're kind of a more compact machine so i guess they are harder to work on but it really depends 
yeah. on the brand of the machine too. I mean, the that new IHI skid steer I've been running, I haven't had to do anything to it. I just use it. So <laughs> most important one is the a machine that doesn't break. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to repair. Um, yeah. So here's a couple like probably dumb questions, but I'm going to ask them anyways. Um, skid steer refers, I, I think of a skid steer as the machine with tracks, but is it true that, I mean, even the ones with wheels, that's still a skid steer, right? That's all a skid steer. That's my first question. And number two, do you have a strong opinion on the tracked ones I'm, versus the wheel ones? Yeah, this, I mean, I usually people call them skid steers or compact track loaders and people usually know what know what you're talking about but yeah um tracks versus wheels yes i started out on all wheel machines they are obviously they're cheaper but they're only really good on hard flat ground because they don't do well on mud or hills at all where the track skid steer will does excellent i mean track the track skid steer is a much better machine than a wheeled skid steer yeah unless you're always on hard ground but it's like if you're on always on hard ground there's kind of i don't know if it's really the there's other machines you can use too, depending on what you're doing. And the downside would be that those tracks are expensive when you got to replace them more or less. Well, I mean, not, not really. They last a long time. I mean, not, not really. Oh, are they more expensive to buy then? Or what, what's, what would be the downside? Why well, would a person get tires? Well, they are definitely more, more to buy new, but, oh. um, but no, I mean, I've looked, I was talking to this one dealer recently. He said, said he sells like 18 track machines for every two, or I guess I guess I say nine to one. He's, Whoa! You know, he sells that many more track machines than wheeled ones. So. Whoa! Okay. Well, that answers that. Yeah. That's amazing. Stuff. Yeah. Now the track machine's the way to go. That's. Um. So about buying equipment, I, maybe you have it on the tip of your tongue, but I, just from watching your videos, you've obviously bought dozens and dozens of pieces of equipment. I'm guessing. And uh, so, can you talk about that a little bit? Both. Uh, how you find and buy equipment, if you have any special strategies or are you kind of done? You, you mentioned dealers a few times. Are you ready to move to new equipment or how, how do you approach acquiring equipment? Most, well, all the machines I have, I've bought them all secondhand or, or even third or fourth hand, whatever. But yeah. I've usually <laughs> been finding them on either Craigslist or sometimes I've seen things for sale on the side of the road mm-hmm. or now lately Facebook Marketplace is been better than craigslist so i've usually been buying things like that i did actually just buy a machine from a dealer a few days ago but you, you know usually paying a little more money buying something from a dealer i mean it's the same as buying a car really so yeah but you get i mean they probably looked it over a little closer and there might be less likely to scam you although it's not a guarantee you, you get yeah. something for that yeah kind of yeah, uh, you know, not, <laughs> not know. always but Hey, is it true? Are Japanese machines kind of like superior in the way that Japanese cars are? Maybe that's kicking a hornet's nest, but that's um that that annoys people when when I say <laughs> that. But I I feel strongly about that. Usually, the Japanese machines I have are unbreakable. Like yeah. I have machines, you know, that are thirty years old with ten thousand hours on them. That yeah. say made in Japan on them, and they just work perfect. I never have to touch them. I have yeah. machines on them that say made in USA and they, and they're, they're dead at two or 3000 hours. Wow. Um, so it's, I'm pretty strict on if it doesn't say made in Japan now, I won't buy it, which yeah. that annoys people, but it's just been, if you bring a machine out on a job and it, it's broken and the job isn't done, I, it's, that annoys them a lot worse. It, yeah. That's, <laughs> I, you know, that's yeah. not, you got to get the job done. So, all right, let's talk about fixing things. Now I've watched it. A, a, enough of your videos to know that it's a big part of your 
work, you know, repairing things that are broken, but it seems also like it's a, just really a talent that you've developed. And like all talents, I'm, I'm sure you, you know, you didn't come out of the womb knowing how to fix things. You kind of had to start and then got to where you are today. So um, talk about that a little bit. What, what were some of the first things you started, you started fixing and then, and how does that translate to today? Are you, are there some things you just don't touch? Or are you kind of like you're willing to wade into anything at this point and know that you've got what it takes to solve it? Um, yeah. Okay. So history of fixing stuff. I started out really young with my dad showing me how to fix things. And one thing that we would always do that was fun would we'd go to the dump and people would throw stuff out all the time that was like barely broken. And we'd take, we'd get whatever item, you know, for free and just be able to bring it home and fix it and have all these cool things that, you know, people would pay lots of money to buy new. Essentially, we'd get them for free because we could fix them. So I, I just kind of lived like my whole, like, I, I'd always have to buy things and get things broken for a fraction of what they cost when they're not broken. So yeah. that's kind of how I've had to acquire a lot of items if I didn't have the money for it and just make, make it work. So I, huh. my dad showed me things and then then that's that small lead. engines of course like little motors and mowers but I, is that what is that also like appliances and just other it's like what else what other kind of things were you fixing that you got that and, way anything that anything that was broken that needed to be fixed i mean it's wow usually just dive into it and uh do what it takes to get it working again so what about now is there anything fix wise that you're you kind of just like, I don't go there. I don't touch that. Or, or are you pretty much like inoculated from thinking that way? And you, you just know you can solve it. I, I fix almost everything, but there, there's a few things I sometimes need help with. Like sometimes when I'm fixing the hydraulic components on a machine, mm-hmm. like if, like if a drive motor went bad on a Bobcat, you know, like I can take the drive motor off, but I don't have the tools or knowledge to rebuild the drive motor. I mean, it's mostly about like tools too. So like I'll just send out components like that, but I'm still very involved in the process where I, you know, uninstalled it and installed it and saved a lot of money that way. But then this, you know, specialized shop where they sit and rebuild drive motors, you know, all day they would rebuild it. Like same if I could, I remember the transmission went in my pickup truck yeah, and I took the transmission out because I could do that. But it's like, I don't know how to rebuild an automatic transmission. It's kind of hard, but I still, we still did it at my house. I had someone come and do it with me. Yeah. Um, so I've had things like that where I've needed help and had someone who's, you know, I mean, the guy who came and did it, that's all he did for 30 years was rebuild automatic transmissions. So yeah. he said he could have done it with his eyes closed. Yeah, that makes sense. For most people, um, a, a lot of paying somebody else to fix something is not because you necessarily couldn't. It's that you couldn't do it in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> like, I'm sure if I spent, if I had a month to spend, I could, you know, re- do a, a major auto repair. But at the end of the day, I, it costs me less to just pay somebody, um, like with a transmission for you. But, but it, I guess in your case, though, you have, you, you are probably fast enough with most repairs that it makes the most sense for you just to tackle them yourself. Um, yeah, usually most of the time. Um, so here's a question for you, Andrew. I, I'm hoping at some point in the next five years, let's say to buy a piece of property, maybe like 10 or 20 acres and build a house in a shop and, dirt work and just sort of general purpose, like, uh, I, I would have to say homeowner use. And I have, I, what, what would you recommend for someone doing that type of, uh, needing that type of work done as far as a machine? 
the three machines that come to mind right away are excavator, track, skid steer, and a dump truck. When you have those three things, you can really do a lot of stuff. Um, and another thing, people are sometimes scared about the commitment of purchasing something like that. And another way to look at it is, yeah, they're expensive, but they're almost not expensive. They're almost free because these machines, they hold their value pretty well. So if you buy a skid steer or something, you can use it for two or three years. And even at the end of those three years, the thing really hasn't lost much of its value. So you can, if you keep the thing in good condition or even sometimes if you bought it right and, and put it in better condition as, as you owned it, you can get your money right back out of it. So it's almost like renting the thing for free. Interesting. Hey, what's the like rule of thumb on hours on a machine? For example, with a vehicle, you know, you, you kind of know if a car has a hundred thousand miles where it's at in its life cycle and some cars, in fact, a lot of cars after 200,000 miles is kind of like, eh, I'll pass. Are there any like hour benchmarks with equipment that you kind of pay attention to where you just won't touch it after a certain number or does it just depend totally on, you know, other, other things? Well, most people have very different opinions on that. I, I don't have any hour benchmarks for myself. I recently just, well, a year ago, bought two machines that are over 10,000 hours, which Wow. A lot of people would consider extremely high, but uh, the both of those, I mean, the one machine needed some work, but it was nothing crazy. I mean, it was a few days in the, the garage to get it in good shape again, but um, that machine is perfect. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't go another 10,000 hours just wow. if the thing's built right. When you're like test driving or operating a piece of equipment that you're considering buying, um, I guess you're just using common sense. You're listening for like squeaks and ticks or are there any other like tell tell like noises? Like, can you ever hear like a, a boom rattling around? That's kind of like, okay, this machine has been pushed pretty hard. How can you tell with equipment? Because they're usually all scratched up and dirty. So how, how do you know when one's really been taken care of? All right. If you're buying something, it's nice to try to run the thing for a while and just kind of see how it is. Good things to look at, make sure it's not leaking any fluid, Get it, run it up to temperature, make sure it doesn't overheat, make sure the pump sounds okay, the motor should start relatively easy, it shouldn't be smoking you know, crazy. Um, you know, Kind of look at the filters, ask the person the service history example, like when the last time the oil was changed. I would even bring a grease gun and just try greasing the machine. No one's gonna complain about doing that and just see how many grease fittings are messed up that aren't taking grease for some reason. And then you can kind of call the person out on it, say, well, how long has this grease fitting been messed up? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing you can look at too, if you're buying something from a person, look at the other stuff in that person's yard. If their yard is full of trash and everything there is garbage there's a, and they don't take care of stuff, there's a good, good indication that the machine might be trash. If everything in their yard is neat, organized, no garbage everywhere, that machine's probably could be a good machine because that person obviously takes care of stuff in their life. Yeah, um, that's that's a really kind of it sounds obvious when you say it, but what it didn't occur to me. It's like a, it's almost subliminal, or if that's the right word for it. But yeah, it's. I mean, I, one time I looked at this dump truck for sale, and the thing was just such a piece of junk, and like, like the guy's whole yard was just full of trash. Yeah, and it's like I I wouldn't buy anything. And he was like, in, I, and I still like offered him like a money on it, and he was like insulted, like. <laughs> like, I just spent money buying new batteries for this truck to sh- show it. I'm like, dude, this, no. So it's, it's, you, you, you'll run into some characters when you, when you go to buy used things. 
But What's your like general approach for negotiating with these people? You, you kind of always have an idea of what it's worth, you know, or do you sort of got to wait till you see it yourself and then you, you kind of push hard when you're negotiating or how, how do you approach like the purchase? Well, try to look at what previous ones have sold for. Try to look at what similar things have sold for. Another thing too, like if you, for example, say someone like yourself where you kind of think you may want to buy an excavator someday, but not right away, just start looking at ads now and just always check. Just check every week or so, just so you kind of have an idea of what things come up and sold and what things go for, maybe even take notes. And even if you have no thought on buying something, you'll at least have an idea if a good, if the right deal comes along too. I mean, that's the other way that's nice to buy things too. Like you don't need to rush into it, but be ready to buy something. So when the deal comes along and then when you see something for sale, if it's a good price or if it's a thing you want, chances are other people are going to want it too. So you got to be, you got to move on those. You got to call them up. You got to say, all right, I want to come right now. I got in show up with the trailer to bring it home, show up with cash in hand. Yeah. And usually that's the way to make deals happen. And I, most of the time when I look at stuff, it's very rare that I will ever go bot to look at a machine and not come home with it. Mm. Um, you know, some, sometimes like if it's not as this, if the condition isn't as this described, I'll try to, you know, get the price right for it. But usually, usually I just buy stuff. I don't even, <laughs> I try to make the right deals, but m- yeah. most of them are good. I and mean, sometimes you buy something that you, you kind of regret, Oh, I paid a little bit much for this or, or, Oh, this thing didn't work out. But sometimes you buy things and it's the, you know, best and the thing's great. So, well, I'm sure you've come out so ahead it's, on it's some a gamble. Deals. I'm sure you bought machines and then sold them for maybe more than you paid for them. And maybe you had to repair them, but I'm sure that it's kind of swung in your favor a time or two also. Yeah. Especially if I'm buying it broken in the first place, I'll try to do you know, better with it. But then you look at it too, like how much money did I make with the machine or how much work did I get done? Yeah. I mean, a good example, the first bulldozer I ever bought, some people wouldn't say I did great with it because I paid like 3,500 bucks for it. It was an old John Deere. I put a ton of work into this thing. And then when I sold it at the end, I still only got 3,500 bucks for it, even though it was kind of in better condition. That's all it was really worth. But one good thing that happened with that bulldozer, I, I learned a lot of experience and I did a lot of jobs in my own yard where I got something done and then the yard is still like, whatever I did is still there. Yeah. And I'm still using, like I put a road in from my middle yard to my backyard at my parents' house. And like, I still use that road all the time because yeah. of something I did with that bulldozer 15 years ago or 10 years ago, whatever. Yeah. Or if you do a job for a client and they're going to pay you money at the end of the job that you could not have earned if you didn't own that machine. Yeah. Yep. So you said that these machines hold their value really well. What about old machines? I, I mean, for example, like with vehicles, cars in like the 60s and 70s, while they might be classics, it's, it's hard, hard to justify buying them as, you know, daily drivers and such. Is, is equipment kind of different in that way? Because it's not, you know, they all kind of push dirt and do the thing. Are you ever avoiding old machines that are, you know, just too old for you? Yeah, there's there's some stuff that's just a little, I mean, it depend, depends what it is. I mean, it's... Um, I mean, I don't have much stuff that's older than the 90s that I'm using regularly. I mean, I have a few things from the 60s that I, I have and I use them, but I don't, like when something is super old like that, it, it's probably not a thing that I'm using daily. Yeah. Like I have this old crane, it's from the 60s that I, I use it, but it's not, like if I was yeah. doing crane work all day, every day, 
I, I wouldn't have a 60 year old crane. I'd probably have a yeah. much newer one, but you might only use it like two or three times a year and it yes. works great when you need it. And so it's worth hanging on to it and letting it sit there the rest of the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some like when machines get old like that, sometimes they're still a useful machine, but you don't want to be putting 40 hour work weeks on them yeah. because it's, it's too much. It's not, it doesn't make sense at that point. You're, you're, you're ruining them, but, but they'll still handle the occasional few hour job. Great. Like I've, I've like my Kamatsu right now, I think it needs a head gasket or something like the engine's not quite right in it, but I don't use it that much. So it's, it's still good. It's still useful, but I wouldn't be bringing it, you know, I wouldn't be putting 40 hour weeks, days on yeah. weeks on it. Is that your biggest excavator, the Kamatsu? No, that's the smallest one. The first oh, one I that, bought. That little tiny, like green. Yeah. That little, black yep, one. that one. Okay. Uh, tell me a little bit about your career and i remember you i remember in a video hearing that you started mowing when you were a kid and it kind of sounded like it just snowballed from there um is is there more to it than that or was there at some point when you tried some other things and then kind of went back into the you know equipment and I, i'm gonna say excavating but that to me that kind of refers to just dirt work in general but uh, talk a little bit about your career you know maybe starting with the time you were mowing yards um, well, I could say I've jobs I've had that weren't like on my own. Like I have worked for other people and businesses before. And I did, I was a rural carrier for the post office for eight years, but Whoa. as I was doing that, I was kind of trying to start, you know, I was doing anything else I could too. So like at that time around 2007, scrap metal was worth a lot of money. So I was hauling scrap and I built a trailer to two haul scrap metal and then then I put a plow on my Jeep and started, I realized, well, I could make money, you know, I could plow three driveways and, and make the same amount of money doing that, that I did spending the whole day delivering mail. So, wow. Um, so I, I started taking jobs like that. And I, I would just do any, anything I could. So I, I was just doing the jobs that people needed done. And then I tried a lot of different things and then trying all these different things, I was able to figure out what I liked doing and what I, and what was, I was successful at. So a good example, mowing lawns. I liked mowing lawns, but I couldn't find a lawnmower that actually stayed working. So that's why I kind of gave that up. Um, the excavation, I liked that better. What really worked well with the excavation is because I bought the machines to do work on my own property as well. So mm. I was working at my house and working for other people. So essentially the machines were kind of paying for themselves, but, and I had them to do my work. Basically, you you started your excavation business as sort of a side hustle doing it, I mean, nights and weekends or whatever, until there was a point where you sort of realized, like, it doesn't make sense for me to keep delivering mail. It makes more sense for me to do these other jobs. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I'd quit the post office a lot sooner than I did, actually. But but yeah, it did, at one point, it was like, you'd spend, a, you know, you'd make more doing excavation in a, in a day than you'd make delivering mail for you know a, a week so it didn't make um, any sense to keep doing do you, that. do you have any like employees or people who you know are no. part of your business in a permanent way just you nope just me i've tried with employees it's one it's kind of hard to legitimately do it with all the paperwork and nonsense yeah uh, but the other thing too i've never found anyone that was any good not saying i haven't had people i've liked but the people that are usually good are busy kind of doing their own stuff yeah and then some of the other people like you know, they'd be all right, but like they'd make one mistake, which would like eat up the whole profit that they'd make <laughs> for the day. Like they're always making mistakes, always standing around smoking cigarettes. It's like, yep. I, yeah. I, was, I just started figuring like, well, let me just take jobs I can handle by myself. Yeah. And it's just been kind of a lot happier 
doing that. And in your line of business, like a mistake with the machine on somebody's property can be pretty problematic, right? I mean, you, you can do some, some damage very quickly and easily that would be expensive to repair. Yeah, it's that. And then they'll, they'll like break stuff or just operating it wrong or they'll just I've, I've seen people to just like not measure things properly and like screw up some little number by an inch or, but that ends up being important. So it's just, it's just kind of better working by myself. Wow. So the places I've lived and worked in Arizona and I just moved to Oregon, but my dad's a contractor here as our audience knows. I mean, it's like, you can't, I don't, I don't even know if you can like paint a house without having a, a license. Um, for that. I don't know if you can even mow. In fact, I don't think you can even mow lawns in Arizona. I, I'm pretty sure there's some kind of landscaping license. Um, what, what's that like where you're at? Um, well, that's interesting. I mean, that's kind of turning the discussion into politics, but here, and I don't want this to change, but here you still, if you're running a business, you need to, you know, be set up as a business. But other than that, it's, you can kind of, you know, once you are a business, you can go do what you need to do. Now, some jobs, you know, you get permits on them and, you know, you don't need to be a licensed, it depends on what you're doing. Like some jobs you need licenses for, but not, yeah. not a lot. But even, even if you don't need it, like they'll still on some things inspect the work. Like for example, here, you don't need to be a licensed plumber to install a septic system. But they, oh. the, but the board of health still comes and inspects the septic system. So it really doesn't matter Got if it. if the person has all this training because a third party inspects it anyway. So it, I kind of think that's a good system. You don't have to go through a, a ton of unnecessary training to. Yeah, well, it's definitely good something. for your customers too because it probably keeps the cost down. If ever if there was a licensing requirement, I'm sure that there would be a lot oh, fewer yeah. people available to do those jobs. And so the cost of getting the job done would, would go up pretty quickly. Yeah, it would go up tremendously. And then if you were, you'd, you'd kind of want to almost be specializing in yeah. whatever that line of work is too, which is kind of hard because sometimes it's, I don't know, you won't always have that work doing that one job. Since you started putting videos on YouTube and, and kind of spending that time, I, I know what your nights are probably like, cause that's what mine are like editing and such. Do you, do you watch much YouTube these days or, or if you did, what do you like watching on there? Or are you kind of just out of the loop in that regard these days? Um, well, my, my days, I, I, I spend like all the daylight working and then I spend most of nighttime editing. I'll usually edit to 11, 1130. And then the 30 minutes or so before I fall asleep, like I'll generally have the TV on watching. I only watch YouTube. I completely gave up on cable. Yeah. <laughs> um, I not, I'm not really watching heavy equipment stuff. I kind of feel like since I spent the other full day dealing with that, I'm not <laughs> yeah. really watching the other guys that are doing that. I'm almost just watching completely unrelated. So do you have like, do you have like guilty pleasure YouTube things that you watch that are just like I mean, fun to watch? It's always, I'm always watching like educational videos, I'd say, but it's, it's not usually excavation stuff. It's just yeah, uh, whatever else pops up. Yeah. Last question for you and I'll let you go. If mm -hmm. you, do you have any, I don't say advice, but you've been doing this a while. You, you started uh, fixing things young. If you, have viewers or an audience member who's kind of wants to do what you were doing and they're a young kid, what kind of advice would you give them? Or, or do you give them? I'm guessing people ask you this occasionally. So what, what do you tell people who want to kind of do the things that you're doing? Well, the best advice I can say, I mean, just, just start doing it. I mean, there's no, you can't, I mean, there's not too much you can say. I mean, making excuses or, 
any of that stuff doesn't doesn't get it done. Like, yeah, it's gonna, you know, if you're trying to start your own business, it's it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be a lot of hours. There's gonna be mistakes. There's, but it, it's what it comes right. You just got to do it, and uh, and and you'll find out if it's if it's something for you. When I started doing excavation, I didn't just quit my job and start doing it. That's probably a risky move right there, especially if you have bills and stuff. Like I never like owing anyone any money. Like I was, Mm -hmm. I won't do that. Like I I never owe people money, but it's that you can get yourself in trouble. Like if you have regular bills and you quit your job and then you're you're all of a sudden relying on this new business to, to make money that that's hard. So one advice I could say is, which worked for me when I worked at the post office, I was a substitute carrier. So it wasn't a Mm. six day, a six day a week thing. It was, um, on average, maybe three days. I mean, sometimes I'd be working, you know, covering someone's route where they're on vacation or something and I'd be working six days, but a lot lot of other weeks it'd just be one or two days. Mm -hmm. So I'd have all these free time, this free time to, to, to try this business and see if it actually works or not. Yeah, that's neat. And and you've already you already mentioned that you did scrap for a while. In other words, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to try something different and maybe it works or doesn't work. Or and I know the scrap metal business worked great for a while and it the prices of metal could change. So it's not like you're not doing that business because you couldn't make it work. It's more like maybe the business itself just isn't worthwhile anymore. Well, scrap is way down and and there is no s- scrap. I feel, I feel like we scrapped it all 10 years ago. So. <laughs> not, uh... Yeah, I was, in, I was in Arizona at the time and guys were, I was flipping houses and guys would drive, drive up and down the streets, the streets, you know, you got any metal? And they, it, it was almost daily people were doing that. It was like all these um, scavengers and it's, you're probably right, it probably... A lot of the scrap kind of got picked up and put back in the system right then, and there might just not be as much. We got to recharge our our stockpiles of scrap, and then it'll make sense again. Well, all you got to do is if the prices go way way down, people won't even bother bringing it in anymore, and then it will start. You know, piles will start getting made places. And I mean, I was going after the hard stuff too. Like I was pulling cars out of the (laughs) woods and places where no other person would even attempt. To, to go. I, I thought that was kind of half the fun of it. <laughs> how, how much did you make like for a car? Let's say just say like a four door sedan. Like what, what was that worth? Like at the highest part of the market, how much do you get paid for something like that? It, there was times where you, when I'd bring like a big American car, like a Lincoln, something big and get like 500 bucks for it. That was like that, the, the peak of, of scrap metal. Now I think if you brought in a big car, you'd probably be looking at maybe you know, low, low twos, high ones. Uh huh. It's kind of like mining. I always, it's kind of cool. It's like you can mine out of the earth and pull out these minerals, or you can also mine in the cities and pull out all of the same minerals. They're just existing in another form like cars. It's pretty cool. I mean, what, one thing that's neat though, like I just, like I'm working on this, my garage right now and I'm building the whole thing out of steel and it's all like big I beams. It's really substantial metal, but it's like, I wonder how, if any of this is metal that I brought in and sold as scrap yeah, and got recycled into these brand new I-beams. You know, that's the nice thing about steel is like it's infinitely recyclable. So even before when, you know, I, when I scrapped it as a 1980s car, maybe it was a 1950s car before that. All right, Andrew. Well, thanks for having this conversation. Do you got any other uh, last minute tips or advice or feedback or teasers for us about um, what you got coming up on your channel over the next few months? Well, I, I'm definitely working on my building on my channel. So that's, I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. It's a pretty big 
welding job that I'm taking doing doing so so probably the next video will be a week or so I'll have all the welding done I'll be sent my span creed I got a concrete pour coming up wow then uh and a are you gonna are you gonna bring like a, anybody to help you with that pour that, any finishers um, to help or you can do that solo no I think my friend uh, Jesse's gonna help okay so it's it's just some steps of the thing where you just kind of need two people. Cause even like when I'm running a crane, yeah, it'd be nice to have a remote control crane. Cause then I could probably do some of this stuff solo, but yeah, like I'm stuck behind the controls of the crane. I need someone to just slightly push the piece into place as I'm, as I'm lowering it. But you gotta, you gotta train your dog to do the crane. <laughs> right. I was almost <laughs> thinking about tying like ropes to the controls or something <laughs> or, ro or ropes, or, or ropes to the, uh, to the beam or something and just set things up so they're like self, self that would be cool or maybe you could like use your drone to like swing the beam around or something well i've used the drone before for for seeing things too oh good call to I see could, like when it's gonna land just to see what's what's happening like yeah because it's you can see the the screen and you can put the camera anywhere so it's crazy to think about doing crane work like that with big beams all by yourself that's a little bit uh that's a little bit intense. I guess if you go slow, it's okay. But man, another set of eyes would really help. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, that's why I'm probably going to have help for, I mean, some of the stuff I can do myself, but yeah. um, like even like I'm setting these big eye beams, but um, and I'm setting them on top of these uh, square tubing. I yeah. was thinking, well, instead of making myself crazy, trying to get it to land, right. I'm going to put like maybe cones or something shaped like a cone on the bottom of the eye beam. Yeah. So all I got to do is land them in, in the tubing yeah lower it down and it will self set itself great idea yeah like a like a like kind of like a funnel where you just hit this yeah. opening and it and it slides itself in yeah or even even less than that i was thinking, thinking if i just put like a rebar spike on it that way yeah. at least it can't slide off yeah yeah the, yeah the, the tubing because it's seems like a good idea to me yeah just cut it off when you're done or maybe just maybe just weld it down one more <laughs> even, well if i put like i'm setting i beams on top of of, of tubing supports so if you had a, a piece of rebar inside the the tubing welded oh. to the bottom of the i beam it never even oh, matter yeah. you know so it's on the inside forever. yeah love it so. beautiful all right well thanks andrew we'll catch you next time everybody can uh, find your show on youtube we'll put links to it in the description of our uh, the video here and um if people